Hi, this is Donna Otto, and we are Modern Homemakers. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are so glad that you join us from wherever you live around this wide, wide world. And I know the world you live in, like the world we live in, is changing, rearranging, looking different every day in every way. I'm stunned by it some days because I think, what else could possibly change? And then, of course, there is always something else. We've been talking about listening, listening for love and learning. And the last time we were together, we talked about humility in action. And as I um, thought about this woman who is unnamed, uh, unknown to you, very well known to me, um, of course it was her choice um, for... um, the story to be told, but <clears throat> not to be named, which would make perfect sense for a truly humble person. But as I talked to her, I realized that as I have watched her story and listened to her story, watched and listened to her story, that there are a lot of responses when we listen to someone's story. Okay, so because we're talking about listening and listening for love and learning, I want to talk a little bit about someone else's story um, and communication style. This may work out to be two shows, but I'm going to try to condense this and give it to you all at one time. So do you listen to someone's story? What is someone's story? Story. Uh, That's a a short word with a big impact. Is it their life story? Well, in my case, that was a lot of years of story. Is it the story of one particular topic? Is it the story of the great story, the great story of God and others? And so when we listen to someone's story, they're wanting us to know how and when um, and what has the walk of faith look like for them. As I described my friend the last time we were together, her walk of faith has been long and um, deep and taken many winding roads. So let me back a little by saying there are lots of styles of communication, five levels of communication. There's sort of the cliche conversation. You have that with a hairdresser or if you ride a public transportation bus or train, someone who sits down next to you. There's the second, which is sharing facts and information. How old are you? I'm 21. And where do you live? I live in Phoenix, Arizona. The facts and the information, it's, it's just... A sharing effect. It it has no personal connection. Then comes the sharing of ideas and or an opinion. You see how that level changes? I have an idea. Is it a new idea? Is it an old idea? Is it a safe idea to give to you? 
I have an opinion. And um, there used to be jokes about me really decades ago that I should write a book that was in, was entitled, Other Than That, I Have No Opinion, which was hysterical to me because I had an opinion about everything and everyone knew it. So sharing ideas and opinions, perhaps for a very talkative person like myself, isn't quite as big a step as moving from facts and information, but it's a significant step. And if you're on the levels of shyness or introversion or have been wounded in life, the sharing of ideas and opinions, perhaps in your past, that have been poo-pooed or denied or not thought valuable, hmm, you start to see where people can have hesitancies in having conversation with one another. And then comes the sharing of feelings. Now, that's a tremendously big step. And I, I'm confident I've told this story before, but every bit of 35 years ago, maybe longer, I went to see a counselor, and the counselor gave me a sheet of paper that had 135 words on it, just words, and handed me eight and a half by 11 piece of paper, and he said, circle all the feeling words that you're familiar with. I thought there were, like, I, there were columns of all these words, and first of all, I thought, Feeling words? I wasn't sure I even knew what a feeling word was. And then I was presented with these columns and columns of feeling words. And I don't remember the exact number. I think I've said nine or 13, but I can just tell you it wasn't a very big number. I circled them rather quickly, handed it back to him. And what followed, as you can imagine, the recognition that, well, I had many feelings I didn't know what they were, and I certainly couldn't call them by name. My husband still calls that decade the decade of I feel, because I began to recognize I did have feelings, and that I could now say my feelings because I recognized them, and I think, frankly, he got a little tired of my I feel decade. But it was a huge quantum leap from conversations and facts and information and even ideas and opinions. And then comes what you might call the peak communication. The peak communication that is done, oh, not only well and properly, but verbally and non-verbally. And it includes feelings and ideas and opinions and information and even wishes and desires, wishes and desires. You don't have that kind of conversation with someone that you haven't established some communication, some connection. So asking questions, when you ask questions, what is it you're trying to do when you're learning to ask someone questions that you want to listen to? Now, again, if we're running into someone that's new to us, we may not know, we may not understand. I've said this repeatedly on this show that the more you can find out about humanity, theology, the study of God, we certainly affirm theology, the study of God. Study the word, study God, study his character and nature in regards to who you are. Study your own psychology. We don't spend so much time on psychology. We spend more time on theology. I remember my own great awakening when I realized that God, who I was studying about theology, had created me 
in his image. And if I, a human being, the study of psychology, human beings, was important enough to be created in God's image, I was probably important enough to figure out, hmm, I was probably looking at my feelings at that time. So when we want to express ourselves and give ourselves away, um, there's a drawing out, uh, listening to someone else's story, an asking of questions. So if you're in a situation where you're meeting someone new, someone new who's important to you, someone who perhaps in my case I'm going to interview, someone who's moving into your neighborhood or your church or your club or your organization, um, asking them questions is good. It draws people out, but it has to be done with some plan. Get a plan. Ask a little about the things I've just talked about, information and opinion. Uh, ask questions that don't be answer yes or no. That's not hardly a way to get someone talking. Uh, do you like it here? Yes. Okay, so what did you just find out? One word. Uh, how about a question that says, what about Phoenix do you like? Now, even if they're shy, they're going to give you a few words, a few responses, but try to avoid questions that <clears throat> you're, um, the individual you're communicating with answers with yes or no. Wait, wait. We've talked about listening. We've talked about the period, the comma, the pause, but especially if you're trying to get to know someone, if you're trying to find out who this person is, wait. They answer the question, pause, wait. Maybe there's more they're about to say that you're going to cut them off. Use things like looking into their eyes, calling them by name, uh, touching them if it's appropriate, hugging them if it's appropriate. Remember that you only want to stay with one thought at a time. You don't want to be jumping over and all the way around. Now, that's who I am. I, I get this idea, oh, and then, oh, and then, no. What's the word they used to say? Leapfrog. They used to say that I played leapfrog in conversations, and I think it's true. Now, because my capacity to go from thing to thing is, is quite large, but that doesn't mean everybody I talk to wants to talk that way, can talk that way. So be careful and stay focused on what you're doing. Um, as you consider in life, perhaps leading a group or leading an organization, the ability to ask questions, to offer questions, the ability to engage people and find out where they're going, who they are, is this an appropriate person for you to engage with? Perhaps you're looking for a replacement for your job. How do we find out who they are personally and spiritually, especially those who are we're engaging in becoming intimate relationships with in a deeply spiritual way? I think sometimes I like to take this lesson and, and call it how to meet uh, a mate, <laughs> how to meet a mate, how the things that you need to go through. He's good looking. No, no, that's very nice. It's an added bonus. But it is hardly information that you're thinking about will establish a good relationship. So you have to be personal. You have to be spiritual. You have to be deeply spiritual. If you're engaged in a relationship that you think may be a forever relationship, forever relationships. What's a sort of personal question? What do you do for fun? I remember someone asking a very serious friend of mine who was a public speaker who never spoke of fun, 
while she was a fun person and laughed wickedly. Wonderful laugh. Absolutely incredible laugh. Bring the house down. But she was not a person that you would ask, what do you do for fun? Because that wasn't a concept. She didn't think about what shall I do today for fun. She thought, what shall I do today for the Lord? And there was always fun in the relationships, always a humor side to her. But what do you do for fun brought down the house because she looked at her with almost an aghast look. Um, questions like vacations. Do you like vacation? What's your ideal vacation? What qualities do you appreciate most in a human being? Um, maybe personal enough, are you married? Do you have children? If so, what are their names? What are their ages? What do they like to do? Uh, I often ask people often ask me, how do you bring a conversation into a spiritual plane? And that's a very good question. I don't think I ever intentionally start a conversation that I intend to bring to a spiritual plane. I, 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 as old as I am, as hard as I can think, I don't think I ever said, now today, when I visit with, I'm going to bring it to a spiritual plane. Now, my life, it's true, has been engaged in ministry for 40 plus years. So talking about spiritual things is very easy for me to talk about. But if you're in a situation where you want to move a conversation to something more spiritual, there are a lot of good questions to ask. The evangelical world, the church, the churches, the institutions that consider themselves evangelical began because of the word evangel, E-V-A-N-G-E-L, which is the root word for evangelize. And in the 50s and 60s, especially the 70s, there was a rising up that said, we invite people to our churches, but we want to do more than that. We want to make sure that people we know know about Jesus. We want to evangelize them. The four spiritual laws, the opportunities to knock on the door and tell someone about Jesus. Now, wherever you stand in that or don't stand, it was a part of the movement, and that movement had to do with the word evangel. And I think it's very important that we have a keen understanding for ourselves of our own walk of faith and what the Word of God speaks about, how we exchange our lives to be engaged with His life. So there are a lot of words to say. Sometimes I want to know something spiritual about someone and I ask the question, so what does your spiritual pilgrimage look like? Now most people respond by whatever their denominational um, years, whether they went to parochial school or public school or they went to a Presbyterian church or a Pentecostal church, they'll respond by denomination. Um, you want to get deeper. Do you read God's word? If you do, do you like the Old Testament better than the New Testament? I would stay away from words that categorize people. I've heard people actually ask this question. Are you a Christian? seems to me that even no matter how much I love Christ, I certainly feel that question to be invasive, and especially if I'm getting to know someone new. And then if you become friends with someone, what does it take to go deeply spiritual? How can you find out what someone is doing to have such great maturation of faith? 
It's like one of my dearest friends in the world. When we first met about 45 years ago, she said, I've got a great idea. Why don't you come to my house or I'll come to your house or maybe we could do it in two times and we'll get out our photo albums. And I I can still remember the feeling I had and I thought, what the heck would we do that for? And she said, because then you can show me how you grew, pictures of yourself. And I'll never forget it because it was so profound. We went through albums, hers and mine, baby books, pictures we had right up to the time and the age we were. Well, one picture is worth a million words. I can still remember the one picture that she pulled out and she said, is this really you? And there I was, my ultimate height, five foot, eight and a half inches tall, weighing in about 98 pounds, so you can picture that, black, dark, curly hair, and a pink spaghetti strap semi-formal dress on, long gangly arms, bony neck sticking out, long legs underneath the skirt. And she stopped and she said, is that you? (laughs) And when I looked at that picture, I thought to myself, it says a lot. The next question she said was, and where are you? And I thought, well, where I am? I'm in my house. And she said, look at what's behind you. And what was behind me was what my mother could do, the only thing she could do. And it was a 12-foot long white brick fireplace, nothing in the fireplace, and on either side of the fireplace, bookshelves, and nothing in the bookshelves. That was my house turned into an amazing conversation between two people who were just getting to know one another. So photographs are a good way to engage in a serious conversation. Well, lastly, what are some responses that you might make to someone's story, their story of faith, their story of life? Well, there should never be any advice givings, you oughta, you should have, or this is my story. This is my experience. This is what I did. There should never be any of that. There should be a great deal of listening and relying on the Holy Spirit as you listen to someone tell their story. There should be no judgment. There should instead be a very prayerful presence. There should be deep within you an understanding that whatever this person is saying is completely confidential. Completely. And whatever they say, how complicated, how long, it doesn't matter. Your response should be that of thankfulness. Maybe even saying, thank you and responding in kind. Sometimes it's really helpful to say in advance, let's talk to one another about each other's story. Ask me some questions and I'll ask you some questions and we can describe our story. That takes the talker, whoever's giving their story, the edge off of, oh my goodness, I've just talked for 22 and a half minutes and I haven't stopped talking, which is what I do three or four times a week um, here on the podcast. But that's different than sitting with someone. So be sure to listen, yes. Listen for learn and love, but listen and be able to accept the fact that it's going to be your turn to share, 
to savor the moments of God within you and that you together will exchange stories. I always want to say the most important thing about these kinds of conversations, especially listening to someone's story, is recognition that this is a story between God and another human being makes it completely unique, absolutely holy, and there's nothing that someone can't say to you that you can't acknowledge as a gift from God and give him glory. So listening, listening to each other's stories, listening to what God has done and is doing in the life of others, a very, very important part of learning and loving by listening. I'm Donna Otto. This is Modern Homemakers. Remember, the common begin and the uncommon finish. Go make it a very uncommon day of listening to each other's stories.